Today on the show, we're talking about extracurricular activities and their financial drain. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Thank you so much for being here with us this week. My name is Courtney. I'm joined with Trevor. And this week, we are talking about extracurricular activities. And this episode really took a turn when the original article we were supposed to be talking about today really got refocused towards a different direction. Yeah, it was an, it's an interesting article. A big piece of it was about, you know, the cost of extracurricular activities and, and the links parents will go through to fund these activities. So, Trevor, you are a parent yourself, so I know you'll provide a lot of great insight into today's episode. I mean, you're going to bring a wealth of, all your kids are older now, so you bring a wealth of knowledge about how you felt in that time period when they were the age, young age and wanting to participate in activities. So, um, just to lead off, today, the inspiration from today's article really came from an article in The Walrus, which maybe I'll get you to talk a, bit, a little bit about, Trevor, what The Walrus is, because it's a great uh, resource. Um, and this article is titled, Canada's Middle Class is on the Brink of Ruin. We'd Rather Binge on Cheap Credit Than Live Within Our Means by Roselle Robin. And we're probably going to be talking about this article again, but different aspects of it, because it's it's a really lengthy article, but amazing. Yeah, The Walrus is a is a Canadian-based magazine, and it's uh, it has uh, political, finance, um, just basic life type articles and fiction as well so it's it's a well-rounded magazine but uh obviously have an an exclusive canadian perspective on everything which is really great because i mean the money sense is a great resource for another magazine but this also i mean as canadians i'm sure our listeners can agree with this we're always looking for additional additional content because a lot of the personal finance content and a lot of content in general is u.s based well our country is just inundated with U.S.-based media of, 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 of all kinds. So when you get a Canadian-specific organization, it's it's sort of a, a welcome change. So, Trevor, before we get into this, I, I want to throw a stat at you. And it, it sounds kind of crazy, but it'll lead us really into this episode. So um, this is from uh, CBC, and they have a stat here that says one-fifth of Canadian families are spending more than 1500 per child on extracurricular activities each year. How is this number accurate? Is this number really what we're seeing across the board? Well, as a parent, I, you can get to that number quite easily. I mean, you don't, without even, you know, getting too creative in, in your kids' activities, you can get there in a hurry. And, but you got you to gotta sort of ask... Uh, what costs are you including? I mean, if you include, you know, every cost r- even remotely related to this activity, uh, y- you you could get there easily. But a, a lot of times, people are are including costs that I, I think should be excluded. So, and we might get into that for, further in the show. So we're going to lead off talking about Jennifer and Steve, uh, one of the couples featured in this Walrus article. So they have two sons who are both involved, both involved in rep hockey and rep baseball sports. So we have four rep sports going on there. Trevor, can you speak to what rep sports is, just if our listeners aren't quite aware? Yeah, so rep is a, uh, a highly, the, the, generally the highest level of uh, kids' competitive sports. And rep stands for, you know, you're the representative team from your town or your area and it's a it's a a team you'd have to try out for and you either you make it or you get cut 
And then if you make it, the parents get the the luxury or the the reward of paying, you know, outrageous costs for your kid to belong to this organization. So it's the rep is basically in you, you would play teams from other towns or other cities. So it's a lot of travel and stuff. But I will we'll get into that later. But that that's sort of what rep means. Thank you. And so uh, Jennifer and Steve both thought that rep sports just wasn't enough for their two boys. And this number is a little bit shocking, but it set their family back. The two, so they, there's four rep sports going on essentially, and it set their family back ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and that's a, you know, the sad thing is that I'm not shocked by that number. Really, I'm having really, because rep is is really expensive. But you know, it's not shocking that the kids would want to play uh, rep hockey and rep baseball. I mean, if you're an athlete of of a you know to achieve a level to play rep hockey, you probably have a similar mentality and mindset that to to the other sports you play. So if if you play rep hockey all winter, to play house league baseball would be a a huge letdown. So it's it, it it's actually a, a monster that that grows out of proportion because of your competitive nature. I'll say. And speaking of that competitive nature, um, Steve's father, the the father within this article, his father was actually a drafted pro baseball player, and it really claims that the talent ran in the family, which I think led to putting a lot of pressure on Steve and Jennifer to have their own kids in baseball, and more specifically, rep baseball, to really own into that talent and and really say that they gave their two sons as much exposure and the right coaching um, to, to achieve this level of greatness that their their grandfather had. You know, I think a lot of parents, you know, put their kids in rep sports, you know, just in case they might be, you know, this prodigy that, that has this, you know, untapped talent. And if they don't put them in rep sports, they'll never, you know, maybe get an opportunity to play pro sports. In in the town I live in, the people that run the rep hockey uh, team, they're constantly scouting the house league teams looking for what they call associate players, players that, you know, if one of the rep players got hurt, they could, you know, bring this kid up from house league to play. If you put your kid in house league and the rep team, you know, discovers your kid's talent and then approaches you saying, you know, would you be interested in having your kid play rep hockey? That's probably a better route to rep sports than pushing your kid into it, hoping they have the talent. I want to talk about that is, is there a level of feeling honored that your your kid is good enough to be put onto the rep league or that you were approached by a rep coach and that you maybe feel compelled to follow through with that? Well, if you're approached by a rep team because they've, they've identified your, your child as having exceptional talent in that sport, I, I think I would, I would feel honored. My, my child should too. But I think a lot of kids, that's not the the path they they get to a rep team on you know it's their parents pushing them to try out for the rep team and and making it that way and hoping their kid has the talent and hope you know by going to the tryout you're putting yourself in front of these coaches and, and they're making an assessment but if if you don't even try out for the rep team and you get approached because your kid has some exceptional talent I, I think that's even more of an honor oh I agree with that um before I go any farther just to our listeners this episode is based 
it, it is going to be a lot of focus on kids' sports and extracurricular activities, but uh, we are going to go on to talk about um, post-secondary sports and then sports you pursue as an adult too. So I just, uh, the chronological order of walking through maybe a uh, individual's, individual's life from a child to an adult in the sports or extracurricular activities they're going to pursue. So, um, so starting here, I do want to ask you, I, I before I even ask you questions, I want to lay down two more stats for you, Trevor, which are very frightening. Um, so, I mean, this first one is just a, a regular stat. So Rep Sports is an estimated $5.7 billion market. And to follow that up, which I found extremely shocking because it's a high number relative to what I'm going to say, but a recent survey revealed that 30% of parents used a credit card drew from a line of credit, or used retirement savings in order to pay for their child's extracurricular activities. That's 30%. Yeah, and I'm not shocked. I mean, seriously. You know, once you become a parent, you you discover that those, so we talked about expenses that have, that are, you know, from an economic standpoint, have elasticity, meaning as the price goes up, you'll, you won't spend that money or you'll find alternatives. And then there's the inelastic things like milk and bread. You know, if the price goes up, you're going to continue to buy those things. And when it comes to kids, your kids, most of the things they do are price are price inelastic, meaning you will fork out the money regardless of the cost. You know, most parents approach parenting from that perspective. And I get it because I'm a parent, but I, I think it's a, a horrible approach for a whole bunch of reasons. So... Before I'm going to hold off on the questions I was about to ask you, and I'll get back to those in a minute because this brings up a good point that I uncovered from an CTVnews.ca article entitled "For the Love of the Game: Canadians Struggle to Balance Cost of Hockey and Education." This is by Jackie Dunham, and it, you just you were just talking about how you would do anything for your kids, and this article brought to light a fabulous point about how maybe the two biggest costs, and we're seeing this episode, that extracurricular activities is one, and post-secondary education is two for costs of your children. First off, before I go any farther, would you agree that those two are the biggest ones? They they are. And if you think about it, those are the the things that mold your child, right? Is, is, is there extracurricular activities? I mean, if you don't put your kid in extracurricular activities of some kind, they end up in, in the place of boredom and usually trouble stems from boredom. So I, I think it's money well spent putting your kids in extracurricular, but it, the, the question is what is reasonable? And that's where we're going to get to in this show. But um, education in a way is, is an activity for your child, right? It's, 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 and a lot of times extracurricular activities are in education. If you take scouting or anything or even an art class if those are extracurricular activities they're also in education so kind of there's kind of an overlap there it's funny that you mentioned staying out of trouble because i'll and i'll link this um this this research into our show notes but some research was conducted on the participation of canadian youth aged 6 to 17 in extracurricular activities and all the other um variables that come along with that so they found that children are more engaged in school and they have a more positive self-image about themselves and fewer there's fewer negative in- income so uh, few less trying alcohol and marijuana so that that's lower because of involvement in in an activity 
There's also a better pro-social behavior. So they're interacting better with children and they're really more involved. So, I mean, I'm sure there's numerous research and studies showing this, but it, there is a strong correlation between involvement in extracurricular activities and performing better in the academic and social environments. Well, you know, we can, I can talk all day about the negative aspects of rep sports, but one thing they do is they, they hold your kid your kids to a higher level of ethics because they they could run the risk you know if if they fall in uh, so i'm going to give you an example if i remember in my town a, a kid was in on a rep hockey team and he was a, he was accused of pulling a knife on a kid at school and there was never any proof that he did it but just the the fact that he was accused of it, and they did find a knife on him, whether he actually pointed it at another child is is what was in question. He was kicked off the rep team just because of his standing in the community at that point. You know, he he tarnished the image of that team, so he they wanted nothing to associate with that child. So, being part of a rep team, it, it it's almost like you've taken an oath, you know, unofficially, and, and you're being held to a, a higher level. Another thing on rep teams is. When you come to, in hockey, I know, I, I don't know about other sports, but in hockey, you have to wear a, a shirt and a tie to the arena. And when you leave the arena, it, it just is a, a rule they have. And, and I know the kids hate it, but it's, it's, it's so you look professional. So it, it, it does hold you to, uh, to a higher level of accountability as a child. So it, that, that is a positive thing that comes from rep. Oh, and I agree. And if, if anything, that's really establishing some some good morals and values into those children at a young age as well. I do want to I do want to highlight the fact that we well we are talking about all extracurricular. We are highlighting rep sports in particular because of out of all the extracurricular rep sports is definitely the most financially draining of all of the type of extracurricular activities. Well, you know, I wouldn't lose sight of some of the artistic extracurricular activities they can be quite pricey I mean I had two daughters in dance and not competitive dance just uh, I didn't this is the wrong word but I'll call it house league dance you know a local just recreational someone had their kids in hockey (laughs) recreational dance and it it was you know very expensive you know it it was more, more than I thought it would be so it's you know artistic things music lessons are not cheap and if you get to a a high, the higher you get in music, the more expensive it gets. So these artistic endeavors are expensive too. So I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't sort of uh, pigeonhole rep sports as, as the, the ultimate expense. And I think that is really, you kind of hit it right there on the nail, why this episode is even an episode for us today, because... It's, I think it's a dangerous trap that a parent, not a trap, but something a parent can get lost into in that, again, like you said, Trevor, a kid, a parent would do anything for their child. And I mean, you enroll your, your child in dance and then a recital comes up and you attend the recital and, I, and they, need a, they need a costume for the recital. So I think all these, the costs can become compounded. And again, you're not going to all of a sudden pull your child out of dance just because the, 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 the outfit for the recital is really expensive. Like, so I just think that one thing gets tossed into another and it's hard to, it's kind of hard to step back. Yeah, no. And I've had my kids in, in a lot of extracurricular things where you, you, you sort of die by a thousand cuts, you know, and that the the expenses just, you know, come in a little bit at a time just in there, but they're constant. There's a steady stream. 
And it, it really, uh, it, you know, if you knew this up front, you might have had a, a different decision. And do you think there's a reason that maybe all the costs aren't laid out clearly on a piece of paper right in front of you when you do register your child? Do you think that's strategically done? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people would just say, you know, can't do it at that price. You know, they're just, it's, it's not, it's, the math doesn't work for me. But if you, if you sort of, you know, find out about these costs a little bit at a time. And, you know, the funny thing is the second year, you, you, it's the exact same thing, but you're, you're just as astonished by it. You know, it's, there's just all these additional costs that just keep coming in. And we'll get into it later, but some of the, the, you know, once you're into that world of competitiveness, everybody tries to get uh, an advantage even in that circle. And the, the you know, there's there's off-season camps that are just outrageous that the cost of some of these. I do want to talk about the idea of additional costs. So um, in, within this article, the Walrus article, there was the idea of paying in installments. And I understand that installments can be both dangerous and extremely beneficial. Can you can you speak to both and just how how they can move from one extreme to the other? Well, the installments are you're basically financing your kids' activities. You know, it's it's it it just makes it look less expensive. But at the end of the day, you still have to come up with all the money. So when you get into like out of town tournaments or um, meets or races or whatever it is your kids in there's a lot of you know hotels meals out that you know the things you wouldn't have spent money on otherwise but if you if you consider that you know you you would have went went away for a weekend away with your family had you not been you know involved in this rep sport then that's your weekend away so you know do you consider that additional cost or or were you would you have gone away anyway so you really have to Look at it from an individual standpoint. Let me ask you a question from that, though. Do you think that individuals, I love the idea that you should classify any maybe out-of-town trip as a out-of-town trip and lump that in with your vacation time if you were counting that in. But do you think that happens? Do you think there is this linear separation between I went out of town for sports and that was my out-of-town trip and now it's time to go out of town for vacation do you think do you think there's that separation in a lot of individuals minds well just from a time perspective you probably haven't got time to do both so the 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 weekend away for the hockey tournament is your weekend away because there's only so many so many weekends to go around so you it's not like you're gonna have time to, to do another weekend away. I mean, people can't be away every single weekend. They've got a home to look after and, and whatnot. So a lot of times, that, I mean, that's how we approached it is, is that that time away was our time away, regardless of what it was for. And, and I agree with that, that time is limited. But I think when money gets involved, when you spend as much as you would have spent if you went away on a quote unquote vacation, that's when it gets dangerous is if you, is if in your mind you keep that activity completely set aside from a vacation activity and meanwhile you're spending double the amount if if someone does think about it in that light which i i don't advise well yeah if you're doing both then that's that's truly an incremental cost to the activity i want to go back to the uh, the installments again because i i they are i think installments i can i think are only beneficial if you understand the all the installment amounts put together and and you're you're okay paying that but i think it's dangerous when 
you you look at it just like an installment of anything and that's really what I wanted to kind of touch on too installment of anything I think could be dangerous if you only look at the installment amounts and not the, the lump total of all installments together well an example so in rep hockey this is going back a few years that just say it was eight hundred dollars for the uh, registration fee and you got to make that in two installments uh first half of the season, second half of the season. So it, that's an example of how they do, in, you know, they could do installments is is they break the season in, in two pieces. It's not like you're going to not play the second half, but they, they don't really need the money uh, up front. So it's that's kind of, you know, an example of, of installments. And it, it is beneficial because someone might have $400, which at one point and then $400 at another point. So it makes... It makes it affordable because it is an expensive um, sport, so that way you are able to afford it and maybe not. And so the, I get installments are very convenient from that aspect. Well, from an operating standpoint, the organization, there's no way they need your 800 bucks up front to um, run their operation. Even post-secondary, they, 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 you pay your tuition in two installments because they, they, they don't really, I mean, they'd love to have your money all up front, but they don't need it to run their operation. So it... It kind of makes sense. Oh, for sure. I agree. So I want to get back to rep sports. So we were talking about before the show started how you had a, a son in rep sports. So can you walk our listeners through you and your wife's decision to put him in, in rep hockey and how significant the cost of rep hockey um, played on that decision, whether to put him into it or not? So my son was a goalie and uh, that, that's expensive on its own, just house league even but so I was a, a friend of his tried out for the for the rep team in our in our town and so I, I thought well let's let's see if my son can can try out and he ended up making the team and when you watch a kid try out and how hard they work and the likelihood of them actually making the cut and making the team it, it becomes almost impossible to to you know when they and that we do this with we did this without even knowing how much rep hockey costs which is crazy you know it's like going shopping without knowing the price of anything so you put your kid in rep hockey, he tries out, he makes the team, you know, and overcomes all the obstacles and all the odds. And how can you not actually write the check, right? Because your your kid reached this accomplishment. So they tell you the amount and ask if you'd like to pay it in two installments. And the answer to that is, of course, yes. And then I think, okay, well, that's not too bad. You know, I hear all these horror stories. And then, you know, you're two practices in, they say, okay, we're doing a fundraiser you know, to help cover some of the additional costs. And I think, what additional costs? I thought I'd just pay, you know, I wrote a check for astronomical amount of money. You know, it turns out there's more costs I didn't know about. So I alienate all my family and friends with fundraisers. And we, uh, we go through that exercise. And then all of a sudden a tournament comes up and, you know, there's the team manager holding their hand out saying, okay, I need money for, you know, some other additional costs I wasn't aware of. And I pay that, you know, write a check. And I got, so I, I paid the registration. I've done the fundraiser. Now I'm writing more checks for tournaments. And then, of course, we're booking hotels for these out-of-town tournaments. And that's an additional cost I, I wasn't considering. And then the goalie coach tells me, you know, your son's equipment's a little suspect. You know, you need to upgrade his, his goalie pads. And so there's money I wasn't thinking of spending. And, of course, the goalie pads you need for rep hockey are, are of a higher quality than you would need for house league. And then... Um, and, and it just keeps on going. And then uh, we're getting near the end of the season. I think, well, finally, you know, I can stop writing checks. And then all these parents are talking about these summer camps they're sending their kids to. And these summer camps cost just as much as the 
rep league cost and and the summer camps are not in the town i mean i have to travel a great distance to get my kid to this camp and that's all summer and once you get to this camp there's you know you pay the fee for these these summer camps and then there's these additional costs once they're at the camp for these specialty coaching section sessions at the camp you know so you get sort of one-on-one with these people on top of the cost of the camp and it, it just keeps on rolling and then before you know it your kid's not quite done camp and you're getting a phone call saying it's registration time for for the rep league and you're writing another check and then another fundraiser alienate your family and friends again so it just keeps on coming and you just lose track and you think you're so much invested you can't walk away from it now you've invested so much time and money into this thing how do you just walk away Wow, I as as someone who's not quite aware of all the costs, that's uh, that's it's it's never ending. It's, it's this continual vicious cycle, and I like how you brought up how you kind of get involved in this and you can't get out because you invested so much time and money, and that's really what happened to the couple, Steve and Jennifer, within the Royal Walrus article. They essentially hit a spot where they needed to dec- declare bankruptcy. They quite didn't, but they were almost at that point. And yet still, they they were making uh, payments through their um, insolvency trustee to 2019 and yet still had their kids in rep sports. Yeah, it's when you get in that circle of, of parents and, and the competitive juices just start flowing and everyone's frothing at the mouth and you're, you're actually competing with, your, your child's competing with other kids on that team for ice time. So there's... And if the kids are competing, so are the parents. It's just the nature of the, yeah, I mean, you have to be in that world to understand it. But the competitiveness, you know, you, you're all standing around like your friends, but in reality, you're all competing against each other. And then as a team, you're competing against another team, of course. But this constant battle for ice time is, it never goes away. It is, it's exhausting. I really like the amount of clarity you brought to this issue because as I was reading the Walrus article myself, I was just shaking my head saying, why don't you just pull these kids from rep sports? It's draining $10,000 a year from you. It, 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 There's an obvious answer. And they even said that in the article that they emphasized how rep sports was very much, quote unquote, keeping up with the Joneses. And now that I'm hearing your side of things, Trevor, I'm realizing that it's a little bit of keeping up with the Joneses, but more of how much you've invested in something. Well, you know, one, another, so I had a daughter just to talk about investment who was in competitive kayaking. And I don't know if you've ever watched the Olympics, Adam Vancouver, and he, it was that kind of uh, kayaking, not white water, but it was this flat water, um, it's called sprint kayaking. And the kayaks look like this little sliver of fiberglass on the water. So they're highly engineered, you know, vessels. And that sport was astronomically expensive. And if I had to go back, I don't know if I'd do that one again, because that one, the, the equipment, like the paddle alone was $400, you know, and the boat was just outrageously expensive. The only thing in that sport is the registration wasn't too, too expensive. But, uh, you know, it depends on the, the, the club you belong to. I, some other places, it was really expensive, but uh, a lot of travel, an extensive amount of travel in hotels and, and, but the, the, there was a, because of the sport, it's a summer sport, the off-season camps were actually in Florida. So, you, you know, people were sending their kids for a week in Florida to train in the winter, which, I mean, that's just off the charts insanity when it comes to spending that kind of money. So you're taking your kid out of school or during March break, putting them on a plane, sending them down to Florida, 
Another person was taking all these kayaks by car down ahead of time. I mean, it was just the, the, the thing you were hoping to do was to reach the Olympics. I mean, that's not even a professional sport where people are making, you know, huge money. It's like, like hockey, for instance, a professional hockey player does quite well financially. In this, you know, your best hopes was to win the Olympic gold medal. Like, I mean, I mean, that's no, I, you know, I'm not trying to undermine that, that achievement, but I mean, it's not going to deliver uh, millions of dollars of income. Wow, that's that's another sport right there that I, I and that's what I feel like the thing is that you don't realize how expensive something is until you're invested in it. And I'm not undermining the the value of these off season camps that that are so so expensive. Because I can tell when I when I show up at the beginning of the season, the kids that did go to these off season off season camps, the ones that went, you know, they were in mid season form. They were the they were the the leader of the pack in every case. So I'm not under undermining, you know, off season training. If you don't do it, you're, you're basically you've lost your competitive edge. So it's, it's almost a requirement if you're in any kind of rep sport. So I do want to ask you, are both, is, is your daughter still in kayaking? And I'm assuming your son is not in rep anymore. So how, what was the decision to leave those two sports? If your daughter did leave kayaking and did a finance, was there a financial factor involved? So with a, with a kayaking, uh, it was kind of an injury to my daughter that kind of made her walk away from the sport. It was just, you know, trying to rehabilitate an injured shoulder and it, she just got frustrated and, and kind of let the sport go. The thing with kayaking is if, if you put this, one of these racing kayaks in the water, they just fall over on their own. So it takes an incredible amount of balance to hold this thing up in the water. So once, if you don't constantly kayak, you lose the ability to, to keep this thing upright. So needless to say she doesn't kayak anymore because it's not one of these it's not like riding a bike you know once you you do it you never forget it's the, the, I, i've tried it and i couldn't even keep the kayak up so it's it's incredibly focused sport now my son who who plays hockey he, he played rep hockey as a goalie and he he doesn't play goal anymore he still plays recreational hockey but just as a skater but it turned out he he ended up pursuing scouts and then later cadets and that turned out to be his true passion because he excelled at that and in in cadets, he rose rose to the highest level of his cadet corps, and, and he he went to a lot of camps. And the the beauty of that particular activity is it's completely funded by the government, which I had no idea when he went into it. But he still plays hockey, uh, but not as a goalie, oddly enough. So it, it it was a skill he honed and developed, and he was he was glad he did it, and he, now he enjoys it from a, a social perspective. But um, so none of these extra, extracurricular activities uh, led to anything significant you mentioned before we started recording today that your son after after leaving the rep league actually went down to house league can you talk about that and um and and really the comparison between the two leagues and how he enjoyed um being back in house league in rep hockey it was you know they almost suck the fun out of it because it is so competitive the practices are grueling i mean they work these kids incredibly hard and again you're just you're you know you're you're competing against your teammates for ice time. And so if, if you have a bad practice, you you might not get the ice time you hope for in the, in the next game. So it, it was that kind of pressure. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid. And so when he moved down to house league, he was a big fish in a small pond. It ended up being his last year of hockey. He That's when he went on to scouts and cadets. That turned out to be his best year of hockey ever. And I think it's because he was such a big fish in a small pond. He was a, he was a, he got a chance to be a star because he had all these rep league skills that he had developed, brought it to house league. And it was just a, a really fun season for him. 
So knowing both sides of it and seeing how much, I mean, did your daughter ever stop enjoying kayaking because it got too competitive or was the in, the shoulder injury just really it? No, she she started losing interest in the, the competitive, you know, as she got older in the sport, the, the competitiveness just kept rising and rising and, and she was in it more from a social standpoint. She, she did quite well, but she went, as soon as it got super competitive, again, when it, when you got competitive with your own teammates, you know, you were no longer friends, you were competing against each other. That's when the, you know, cause the, how it worked is you would kayak in a, in a single boat and then they had doubles and, and four people in a kayak. And so everyone was competing in their single boats for the best time to be able to get into these team boats. And so you, you were constantly competing against your friends and it kind of, it kind of, just you know wrecked it for her she you know it it took all the fun out of it so I I think she was losing interest before the injury just because the fun had been sucked out of it because of the competitive nature so what I'm gathering is that I mean if you have a a child who's naturally competitive and naturally thrives on that I mean it sounds like rep sports is a good option but I mean if if our listeners have kids out there who are like your son and daughter who maybe thrive more on the social aspect it sounds like house league or recreational sports could be more of a viable option. I mean, it's all the saying that I'm sure your daughter and son would not have got the level of training and um, got as good as they were in a recreational league because they did receive um, special training and a lot of a lot more intense training in, in their in the more competitive league. Well, here's the downside to the house league sports: is the way it works is you pay your money, your kids on the team and they get to play equal amount of time. So just say you, you put your kid in house league baseball. Well, you get out there, and there's some kid picking dandelions out in the outfield, and some kid hits a home run. That's all too and familiar. That I was the dandelion picker. And if your kid's even, you know, just slightly competitive, that just is so demoralizing that it, it takes the fun out of it for that kid. So in my mind, you really need three levels of sports. You need, you know, that, that really competitive where you have to try out and make the team. Then you have a, a middle one where, you know, you pay your money, get on the team, but, you know, if, if you're not, you know, somewhat competitive, then there's another tier, a third level, where you would just show up to have fun, you know, and just sort of run around, pick any lines, and, you know, maybe you know the rules, maybe you don't. So, so you kind of need those three levels, in my mind, right? In most places, there's only two. You got rep and house league. So it's, that to me would be a sort of a ideal scenario. I think that is a fantastic point that you brought up because I I think that is still a problem and I'm calling it a problem because you see it across every, every tier of sports across the board. I mean, right from children's sports to adult, adult activities. I I think it's always there. I mean, we're going to get into this in a minute, but even at my age, I, I was on a softball team um, two summers ago and and we called it the beer league, but sometimes it wasn't the beer league. So, so sometimes it was this just game of loafing around and sometimes it was super competitive. So it, it really changed. And I think if we could, if there was different tiers of sports where, and where we, we knew we were out there for fun, we knew there to be competitive. I think that would really kind of make it easier for everyone involved because they all knew what to expect and didn't get frustrated with one another. Well, you know, in any competitive sports, it's it's not your physical abilities that set you apart. It's the mental part. You know, your competitive, your mental toughness. You know, your 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 mental ability to refuse losing. You know, it, uh, you can develop the physical tools through training, 
But if you don't have that mental competitiveness, you're in the wrong sport. So if you ever meet people who, who you know, when as soon as they step onto the playing field, a, a, a switch flips in their head and you, they just don't seem like the same person. You know, those are the people that should not be in recreational sports. You know, they should be in competitive whatever. You know, that... And, you know, a lot of parents, they, they just because they have that switch flipped in their head and they're that mental toughness and competitiveness, they think their kid is too. And a lot of times their kid is not. You know, they may have the same physical tools, but they have not got the mental part. That's a, that's a great point there as well, because you do see that all too often. Um, so if you're, if you're going to spend the money, you know, don't assess your kid's physical qualities. Assess their mental approach to whatever activity you're putting them in i mean even uh music the focus required to be an exceptional musician is you know on another level that most people aren't aware of i mean they almost step into another world they're in a trance so you assess their mental ability not physical i absolutely love that so i do want to get back i have one last question about your experience as a rep or a competitive parent um, can you talk about your experience firsthand, um, both being in competitive kayaking and rep hockey, um, and, and how you interacted with other parents and any maybe stories they told you about uh, the, the fees they had to pay or maybe the, co- their own personal costs of being involved within the sport? Well, the, the one thing that stands out the most when my involvement with other parents in those two sports was, was I, I refused to put my kids in these summer camps. Be, because they cost more than the the regular league did. And I remember the disgust people would look at me with, you know, how could you deny your kid this opportunity? I mean, they didn't use those words, but the, you know, they were saying them through their teeth. So it's amazing how they were, you know, they switched from friends to combatants, you know, just at the, the blow of a whistle, the drop of a puck, you know, that, so my interaction with the parents was that, or in my daughter kayaking, if, I knew that, say my daughter got into that four-person kayak based on her, her individual times, the parent's child that didn't get in, you know, the, the next one in line, you know, they would, you know, they'd say, oh, your daughter missed a stroke there, or you know what I mean? They, they'd have some sort of slight about my daughter in the kayak and saying, you know, she maybe questioning whether she belonged there, you know, whether, so the, the interaction with the parents and that competitiveness, I, I just, I had trouble with that the whole time because I'm just not a competitive person. Can you speak to the financial side of things and any, and and I guess you already did a little bit saying that parents were willing to absorb the cost of summer camp. So was there any, was, was money a factor? Were, were some parents more, more just give me the cost and I'll pay it? Well, nobody there, I mean, nobody in those circles were willing to stand up and say, Hey, I can't afford that. You know, I, I never, ever remember anybody saying that, you know, it was almost a pride thing. And I, I was not embarrassed to say, hey, I, I can't afford to send my kid to this uh, camp down in Florida. You know, I, I, if we're going to Florida, we're going to go as a family. No, I'm not going to send my one child down there. And so I, I think these people, you know, just talking to them and I, I go back to the competitive thing. I, I was convinced that there was no limit in how much they were going to spend to, to give their kid that competitive advantage. There was there was no obstacle you could put in front of them. They, they would forego, well, forego anything to, to get their kid into these sports. And that kind of mentality is a mentality that kind of scares me. And especially when we put pride and ego on the table and like our couple in this article, I mean, because of, because of this 
commitment to rep sports, they currently have no savings, no RSP, no pension other than CPP, no house to sell, and all their income is going to paying for bills as well as these rep sports. So I, th- I think at some point, hopefully, our, our, any of our listeners out there who do have kids in sports will maybe stop and reevaluate what is really on the table. Well, you know, not so much in Canada, but in the United States, a lot of kids, they get scholarships based on, you know, being part of the, the um, you know, safe to say in the States, a lot of kids get football scholarships or basketball scholarships to universities. And that covers, you know, they get a free education. But if you think about it, did they really get a free education? How much money did those parents have to spend uh, on extracurricular activities, camps, uh, everything to give the kid the competitive edge to develop the the skills for a university to say, hey, we'll give you a, f- a free ride here because you have these sports skills. They just front loaded their their educational costs by, like, I guarantee you, they spent a fortune having their kid in this sport in in hopes that they'd get a scholarship. I mean, you probably could have paid for that university education maybe twice. And to also remember that the people people attending schools, usually in the United States, there are people, they're looking at people all over the world. I, I know someone who uh, is on the track team at a school in the States and she's from Australia. So she got a full ride in Aus- from Australia to the United States. So really, I can't even imagine, you're right, how much money the parents have invested into their children to become essentially that good because they are competing against people from not just the United States, but everywhere in the world. Well, and you could argue, well, you know, my, my kid got to play those sports. I mean, it wasn't a complete loss, waste of money, but you still had to front load that that cost. It's, you know, you could have foregone, I, I mean, if some people consider it a bonus, I guess. My, my kid gets a free ride. They want to do the sport anyway. So you could argue from either side. So while we're talking about extracurricular and post-secondary education, there's this great quote from the CTV News article I introduced earlier in the episode, which will also be linked in the show notes. And it says, quote, when you look at the amount of money people are putting into extracurricular activities, and then you offset that against the fact that roughly half of Canadians don't have an education savings plan for their kids, you have to just stop and ask yourself the question, what are parents doing in terms of priorities, end quote? Yeah, I I think... The education is, you know, a lot of people, they'll say, oh, I don't know if my kid's actually going to pursue post-secondary education. So, you know, why would I want to put all that money away just in case? But they do know their kids want to do these extracurricular activities now. And I think that's where a lot of the mindset comes from is dealing with just what's in front of them right now, not thinking about the future. But now having gone through post-secondary and seeing what college offers and seeing what university offers, I truly believe that there is an education plan for out there for everyone. I mean, college and university are amazing that they both offer uh, such diverse learning options and that one's more hands-on, one's more a little bit more uh, theory-based. So I truly am convinced that students can find a program and a path that they enjoy. You know, and if, if they're... If they're putting their kids in, you know, highly competitive extracurricular activities in hopes that they make it, quote, make it, putting putting your kid through post-secondary education is more of a sure thing. You know, the, the, the chances of making it are, are so remote, you know, statistically, that, that, you know, it's 
money well spent going into um, post-secondary. I mean, it's, it, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it's it's close. It's the closest to a sure thing as you're going to get. Definitely, and I just I don't I don't know. I just think it's crazy to to invest so much money in children's sports and to end up empty-handed when it comes to then putting your child into post-secondary. I just it it just doesn't it doesn't personally make sense to me. Well, I mean, if you're willing to borrow money to put your kids through extracurricular activities, you know, if, if you if you're not struggling to come to that decision, then borrowing money for post-secondary is going to be an easier decision to make. I, I think so. It's I think people that are comfortable borrowing money for anything to do with their kids, it's going to be easy to borrow money to put your kids through post-secondary. Oh, I agree. And I'm also I was also just thinking if you have a child who's has this really deep competitive drive and this self-determination and really this perseverance, would you not think that applies then to their academic studies and that they have that self, self-determination self and perse- perseverance to get themselves through um, whatever the whatever academia throws at them? That's a really good point. I, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. If, if you if you have that competitive nature, that, that mental toughness, why wouldn't you have that in it from an educational standpoint as well? That, that makes a lot of sense. And I and I am a firm believer that there there is a program and an area that is going to interest everyone. I'm a firm believer of that. That you just have to look hard enough. I mean, I went into university in in business because commerce was commerce is commerce. I mean, if you haven't heard of a commerce or business degree, then you're probably living under a rock because it's one of the one of a long standing degrees. But after my first year, I found out about uh, communications. I was like, what is communication? So I just think to, to all our listeners who have kids who are maybe making that decision right now, really do research and look into it because I, I'm convinced that there is a program. I mean, and maybe your kid doesn't quite know what they want to do yet, but I'm convinced that there is a program and an avenue that will interest them. And I mean, no, an education in something is definitely a no, better than no education at all. Well, you know, we could do a whole show on this. But you, you, you can't just send your kid to post-secondary education in, in hopes that they'll find something that agrees with them. There's a lot of money at stake. You know, you need to send them for, before you go, you need to know with some degree of certainty the general area of studies. You know, you're, you can make small tweaks along the way, but you can't go from uh, law to medicine. I mean, that, the cost of, of making that switch is, is astronomical in, co- in money and time. Oh, I completely agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that, that you're, you definitely have to be sure of what you want to do because there's so many people that do go into post-secondary and then just don't finish their degree or, or change so many times just because they haven't quite found that. So I, I am an advocate of really deciding what you want to do. And I'm also firm, we're sidetracking so much, but I'm a firm believer that um, parents and, and maybe a guidance counselor and, and other other adult figures play a good role in really pushing their kids with a lot of tough love to really discover what their kids are actually passionate about. I mean, that's what my parents did. They really not drill sergeant me about, is this what really I really want to do? But by doing that, it really makes you think and question. And then if you're able to defend why you want to do something or why you want to pursue something, that means you know you're in the right right avenue. Yeah, I think that defend is a good good point to make is your parents are uh, financially invested a lot of times they can be blinded by the financial aspect of, of post-secondary or extracurricular. You know, 
it's up to, I think it would be up to the child to sell it to your parents. You know, as a parent, make sure your child sells this idea to you. You know, don't, don't do the opposite. Don't try to sell it to your kid. Have your kids sell it to you. You know, have them make a case of why, why you should invest in this particular thing. Because no one has your best interest at heart than your parents. I mean, your guidance counselors are only going to help you when you approach them about something pertaining to post-secondary. When I, when I was in high school, they were super helpful, but my parents were definitely the ones who cracked down on me and made sure that I was in this for me and I was in this for, for the long haul. Well, you know, I would ask, back to extracurricular activities, just because it relates to this, is I wonder how many kids are in extra, you know, rep hockey or a rep baseball, not because the, the, the child wants that, but because the parents want it. You know, I wonder just how many of those there is. That's a fabulous point. And it all, it does circle back to the whole point you made about a competitive parent may assume their child is also competitive as well. You know, one thing I was, my son was into auto racing, watching it as a spectator sport. And I, I, I thought of getting him into go-kart racing at one time, which, which would have been astronomically expensive. I was going to say. So, gla- so glad I didn't go yeah. there. But I remember taking him to a go-kart, you know, recreational go-kart track, all three of my kids. And I was astonished. My son was the slowest one on the track. And it turns out he was, he was trying to, you know, stay inside the lines and, and drive the car in a very safe and controlled manner, which is the opposite of what a race car driver really does. I mean, I'm not a huge race car fan, but I know they drive the wheels off these things just to win the race. And, you know, had I, I really enjoyed racing from a uh, spectator standpoint. And I thought that would be awesome. And, you know, to go watch my son or one of my, any of my kids race go-karts and, um, what a disaster that would have been, you know, that, but that's an example where a parent wanted it, not the child. And because you, you observed that he obviously was a cautious person and very meticulous. Maybe that is why cadets worked out for him more than, uh, something that was more, uh, more more spontaneous and out of the lines than than go-karting but you know and that goes back to the the mental aspect right so i don't think you need a lot of physical tools to be a race car driver but it's a mental approach right you need that that competitive mental toughness you know that that never quit mindset and and that's so hard to assess so as a parent wanting their kid to be in a in a rep sport and you know, not really knowing their kid has that mental competitiveness required. They may be, you know, the the biggest kid in the class in their class. You know, in the maybe the bulging muscles, but they're they're very docile and and you know, happy go lucky. They're probably not a candidate for rep sports. No, I'd I'd have to agree with that. I I do want to ask you a question though. Did any of your kids ever express interest to be in any sports or extracurricular activities, or was it you and your wife kind of exposing them to different things and seeing what they were interested in by that uh, method? Yeah, you know that's a good point. As a parent, I think it's it's your responsibility to give your your child exposure to. Uh, I'm going to say as many things as possible. When I say that, you know, give your child exposure to artistic endeavors to sports and competitive endeavors and and just observe and see you know how they approach it you know and 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 don't be too caught up in the results but just observe their enjoyment you know and their enthusiasm i remember i had all three of my kids in soccer 
and they played soccer and they, we went to every game and every practice and they seemed to have fun when they were there. And then, then the next year in the spring, the soccer registration came in the mail and I said, well, look at this guys, soccer registration. It's, it's season's almost here. And all three of my kids almost went to tears they, at the thought of having to play another season of soccer. So clearly I did not observe, you know, how they enjoyed that sport because I was more than prepared to, to put them in another season of soccer. It would have been a disaster. So, it, you know, a lot of times parents can put on blinders and not see whether their kid's enjoying it or not, you know, and, and just because they're there doesn't mean they're enjoying it. Or You know, you don't have to necessarily excel in something to enjoy it, but you, the enjoyment is, I think, the key. So let's take it the other way. What if a parent maybe doesn't have the financial means to have their kid in, in extracurricular activities? Are they... And, and because we know how beneficial extracurricular activities are to a child's development, are they depriving a child of something or is circumstances circumstances? So I went back to the example where in, in my town, the rep hockey team, they kind of scout the house league teams. And if one of their players gets an injury, they'll approach a house league player and say, hey, would you be willing to come and play uh, a couple games while this injured player recovers? It, the way it's worked is that kid did not, not have to pay anything extra for that opportunity. And so there's ways to to play competitive sports and not uh, if you don't have the money. But I, I just, uh, if I had to go back in time, I would not put my kids in rep or competitive sports. I would have them approach, my, my child approach me and say, hey, can, can we try this? You know, but if I don't have the money, I, I mean, at the end of the day, the math has to work. So if I, phys- if I can't not afford to put my kid in rep hockey or rep baseball, then, then I won't. You know, a house league will have to do. But it's, a lot of times it's focused. So in this article we read that the kids played baseball, rep baseball and rep hockey. I would make my child choose. You know, I'm not going to do both. You can play rep hockey or you can play rep baseball, you pick. You know, there's only so much money to go around and there's not enough money to play, you know, uh, two seasons of rep sports. So make a choice. And I I put that on my my child to decide which one's more important. You said that your daughter no longer kayaks, your son no longer plays hockey. Has any of the other activities they've been involved in for any of your children, have they continued to pursue them? Or how do you think their involvement in those as children have really benefited their development today? Or have you seen any evidence of that? I think being on a, on a, on a team of any kind, it, it, it teaches your, or even being in, I'll say an orchestra, you know, for, forget sports even, or in, 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 a, in a group dance activity. It creates this team mindset, you know, that you're, you're, you don't want to let your team down. It kind of puts some responsibility on you that, you know, you have to, you have to show up every, every week or every day, or you're going to be letting somebody else down. So it it gives your child a chance to think about somebody other than themselves at a young age. And I think that's a good thing. So kind of more behind the scene things that are developing without you maybe realizing because while they are going to school and interact with children in that environment, I, I guess I definitely see what you're saying that there's different things that develop during extracurricular activities altogether. But, you know, you don't have to get that. You don't have to, to spend rep sports kind of money to for your child to gain that, that benefit. I mean, you're going to get that in any sports team. You know, I mean... You don't have to spend 
you know, that, that you don't have to have your kid in the most highest level of, of sports to, to get that, that, that learn that quality or, or experience that, that a team environment. So there are a lot of good options. I, I think that will fit into our budget. Can you throw out any examples that maybe things that you've done with your children that have been very low cost in terms of extracurriculars? Well, any house league sport, uh, scouts was a good activity for, for my kids, although there was a, a lot of fundraising associated with it. And I think fundraising can, can kind of suck the life out of an activity for a kid when it, cause it, you know, it seems like work instead of fun. Uh, cadets was really good for my son and, and that one, that cost nothing. Uh, my daughter was involved at the library in different activities, which, which she enjoyed a lot. So, I mean, you don't have to look too hard around your community to find things. Uh, and house league sports get such a bad rap from, from these, you know, if you've been in rep, how do you ever go back to house league? But you tend, it tends to be more of a socializing event. So it, and, and it's, it's so low, a lot of the house league is so low cost. It's so, it was so hard not to put your kid in it. No, I completely agree with that. And I, I speaking of low cost sports, um, I do before we, we're going to wrap up soon, but I do want to briefly talk about post-secondary sports and, be, because we are students, this you can register for um, leagues with the school, and and then and then I I joined a summer softball team um, in the summer as well. So there are a lot of opportunities to be involved in low cost sports that way. And and I'm gonna say the social I play I played on a volleyball team actually for four different semesters, and this I played uh, there's a team of all my friends. So the uh, the social aspect of that is incredible. I mean. I'm I'm not a great volleyball player, but being on the team and being with my friends and just being in that environment, um, in, in the lower level of the two leagues was just so much fun. And and I really do think, well, there is a little bit of an investment. It definitely is worth it because it builds a sense of camaraderie and friendship. And um, it, and again, it is a physical activity, so you are getting some exercise in. So, I really am an advocate of of seeing the options out there. And the post secondary institutions know you're a student; they know that. So. The registration fees are fairly low because um, you soak up a little bit of the the gym fees in your tuition usually. So I think that's a fabulous option as well. Um, I, I was involved in a yoga club as well. So there are a lot of great, I mean, the, the gym, the gym does offer, usually at every institution does offer programs for that you can pay for classes and stuff like that. But there are a lot of great drop-in opportunities as well while you're in post-secondary. So I really think, and then Trevor, can you speak to a little bit um, as any, anything you were involved in as an adult for extracurricular activities? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I would spend any amount of money to put my kids in extracurricular activities when they when they were kids, but I struggled to, to spend that same amount of money or time on myself in extracurricular activities. And it's a mental block I got to get past because all the things your your child gained from being in these extracurricular activities was shaping and molding them and developing them. And there's no reason that you can't continue to be shaped and molded and developed as an adult. So I was involved in music. And I remember, so if my kids were involved in music and we'd go to the recital and watch them play, I mean, I was just overjoyed as a parent and, and just, it was, you know, very important event and I would would, you know, not miss it for the world. I was involved in a music program and we had a, a performance and it just seemed like, you know, what's, you know, I, I kept asking myself, you know, why are we doing this? You know, what, what's the purpose? And I, and I, I struggled to enjoy it because I was always trying to find a, 
purpose behind it. And so the purpose of my kids being it was to, to further develop them as people. And I, I failed to see that in my myself. So I, I've also taken some art classes. And again, you know, when I'm done, I say, you know, what did I actually do here? And I think I, I question it too much. And, and again, I, I will scrutinize the cost and thinking, you know, is it really worth this much money? And I probably, you know, sh- should be, you know, more willing to spend money on, on myself in these extracurricular activities than I do. Do you think it's because you spent your whole adult life really investing in your children and making sure that they were involved in these, that finally they're, they're older now and now it's finally time for you to to focus on yourself. Do you think that's the, there's a little bit of a, of a disconnect? Yeah, no, I, I, I just have to get, you know, past that mental block and, and I'm sure I will. I, I'm opening up more and more to the idea. So I, I'm, I'm probably going to come fall. I'm going to enroll in some sort of program of some kind. So I, you, you got to keep learning as an adult. I think it's important. And, and you be, like we said in our last show, you should be willing to invest in yourself. And so these extracurricular activities, they may look recreational, but they're developing you and, and it's worth the money. You know, chances are it's worth the money. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Everything that we talked about today will be in the show notes. So you can go back and refer to it. Also make sure to head over to our Instagram account and our Facebook page, which will be linked in the show notes as well. We love hearing from you. So don't hesitate to send us an email to livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. Or hit up our Contact Us page and there's a submission form there where you can send us anything that you'd like to talk about or any comments about anything that you have listened to and you want to just talk to us about. Thank you so much for being with us today. We will see you back here next Monday. Until next week, keep it simple.